Hi, I'm Trip. I spent the first part of the 21st century as a film snob, rejecting any sort of mainstream comedy. And I'm Ross. I'm slowly, film by film, taking Trip through the films he sadly dismissed or smartly avoided until now. And welcome to A Trip Through Comedy, a podcast examining studio comedies from around the turn of the century. Trip, our exit today has a serving time for a crime we did not commit. Today's film is Life, written by Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone, and directed by Ted Demi. The film centers on Ray and Claude, played by Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence respectfully, two guys who are thrown together after running afoul of a local crime boss named Spanky. In order to get themselves out of trouble, they must go from Harlem down to Mississippi to bootleg liquor. However, while down there, they are wrongfully accused and eventually convicted of the murder of Winston Hancock. Ray and Claude are sentenced to life in prison on a chain gang where they spend the next 65 years trying to escape and falling in and out of friendship with each other. They watch as the world evolves while they are still stuck in prison for a crime that they did not commit, a murder that was actually done by the local white sheriff and his deputies. Every scheme they attempt to get out seems to fail, including appealing their case, mentoring a talented fellow inmate in baseball, stealing a plane stashed near them, or even having the warden realize that they were set up by the local sheriff at the time. Finally, Ray and Claude escape by faking their own deaths and making their way back up to Harlem. The film got an Academy Award nomination for its makeup, which was done by the legendary Rick Baker. So Trip, what was your connection to Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence at this time? And in the end, what did you think of this movie? Ross, I want to say it's ironic that I hadn't seen this yet, because this is our first Oscar-nominated movie that we are talking about. And even as a high schooler, I would try to see as many of those as I could every year. But I think it was kind of the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence part of it that kept me away from it at the time. They were both a little bit, maybe it dips in their career, I think, for a lot of us. Um, in high school at the time, we kind of felt like Eddie Murphy even though he had just had The Nutty Professor a couple years earlier, was kind of, you know, this is the Dr. Doolittle, holy man section of his career, maybe not quite as interesting. Martin Lawrence is done with his TV show, so there wasn't really a rush to see what either of them were doing at the time. Which is too bad, because this is a really lovely little movie. I, as I said last week, had no idea what to expect. It was not what I was expecting at all. It is in many ways more serious of a movie than it is a flat-out comedy, although there are some really funny bits in this movie that we can talk about. But it moved me in a way that I was not expecting, especially from either of them at this time in their careers. Absolutely. I think... The 90s is a, a weird kind of time for Eddie Murphy. Uh, he obviously has an explosive 1980s and some of the best comedies you'll ever see. But in the 1990s, he starts kind of floundering. You have stuff like Another 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop 3 and Vampire in Brooklyn. And like what I remember being a teenager at that time, like we were discovering all of those movies, right? Like we are watching 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. And I was a huge Saturday Night Live person. And on Comedy Central, I would watch those reruns constantly. And so we loved Eddie Murphy. 
but it was kind of a you go see Eddie Murphy or you rent Eddie Murphy movies from Blockbuster. You don't really go see them in the movie theater anymore. This is this is where our age difference comes into play because Eddie Murphy is now turning into exactly the person that ten year old Ross is absolutely <laughs> watching because yeah. Nutty Professor. Dr. Doolittle, Holy Man. He also was the voice of Mushu in Mulan in 1998 as well. These are all of the stuff that 10-year-old Ross could absolutely see and was seeing. And he's going to spend the next decade making a whole lot of kids' movies, supposedly for his kids or whatever, right? But he's making, he's transitioning his career into a less vulgar Eddie Murphy and a more family man Eddie Murphy. Absolutely. And Martin Lawrence, to me, obviously 1999, I wouldn't really have known him. I was not old enough or able to watch Martin on TV. He had done kind of bad boys already and had kind of that kind of explosion of Mm -hmm. him as a leading star, to some extent, pairing with Will Smith in that. But he's already starting to do some more kind of like as a lead work at that point. He had obviously been in supporting roles before that. He's a very small part in Do the Right Thing. He's in both House Party 1 and 2. But this is kind of like the era where Martin Lawrence is starting to become more of a leading presence. Mm -hmm. And the two of them work together in Boomerang, which is kind of generally seen as the exception to Eddie Murphy's 90s, where it may not have done as, you know, supremely well financially, but is generally considered one of Eddie Murphy's better movies. I think... It's very fascinating to watch both of them because, as you said, I do think they're both giving very good actor performances. It's not just Mm -hmm. them doing bits. There is really moving moments in this movie that both of them have to do. Although you also then get those bits, right? That the, the kind of journey that they go on is that they barely know each other. They get thrown into a life sentence. They go from being friends to enemies to friends to enemies. And you get these great scenes of the two of them just bickering. And as they get older, the bickering gets even worse. And it lets the best of both of them really shine in that comedic way. And they're both really good playing the older versions of of them. Absolutely. And it, over the course of this movie, what's very interesting to watch is from the beginning, Eddie Murphy seems to want to kind of get Martin Lawrence on his side. They're mm-hmm. in the car driving down. He's wanting to have a conversation. He's he's much more of this. Martin Lawrence's character, especially at the beginning part of this movie, thinks he's better. Thinks he's better than Eddie Murphy. Well, Martin Lawrence is a straight guy, and I mean that in that he's not a criminal, right? That he owes this criminal some money, but he's going to be a bank teller, right? He does things the right way. And Eddie Murphy is this pickpocket, con artist type character using all of that charisma. So from the beginning, they're coming from different places. They're a mismatched group who get thrown together for 48 hours. That becomes a lifetime. Absolutely. And In the end, they become so intertwined because of how they have to get through this. Even when there is long stretches, and there is a point in this movie where they they seem to indicate for years that the two of them don't really talk. Yeah. And it is a very interesting way to see how that friendship builds. One of the criticisms I know that some of the people when I was looking at reviews, talk about is this movie has a tendency to try to put a comedy into a situation that is very serious and they don't necessarily show a lot of the very hard realities that they probably would have had to face. They are obviously two black men in Mississippi getting arrested in the early 1930s on a chain gang in which every other prisoner is black. You have a white guard, a white 
warden in Mississippi. They are set up by a white sheriff. A lot of racial politics is obviously discussed in this movie, but it is also kind of an interesting way of how this movie has to try to balance still being kind of comedic enough without really delving into a lot of the very difficult things that these two characters would have faced within this. But comedy can become weaponized, right, Ross? And that's what this movie does, I think, is that it deals with some of those issues in a very funny way. And I think the movie is almost its most successful when it gets to that chain gang and those first kind of couple decades that were in there, when Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence almost fall to the background for a while. Because the moment we get to the prison, they give us a lineup of wonderful character actors. Some of them really early in their career. You get Bernie Mac in there and you get Anthony Anderson. Some just wonderful Bokeem Woodbine. They really focus in on all of these characters. We let ourselves, it lets us see a little bit about each of them and their stories. And they're all funny in the movie, but they're all funny in a way that also reflects the pain that has gotten them here somehow. Absolutely. I think this is also the first movie that we've done that while I would definitely say is a comedy, it it is much more of a dramedy. It is much more serious than all, any of the movies that we've dealt with so far. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to grapple with these sorts of ideas, not just of the racial politics, but also the idea of these two men who watch as time goes by. They are arrested, I believe it's like 1932, 1933. Mm -hmm. The present day of the movie is around 1997. And when you think of how different the world would be to a person who has gone into prison in 1932 and to come out in 1997. It's unbelievable. It's shocking how different life and society would be to somebody of that. Oh, exactly. And I credit a lot of that. The movie's directed by Ted Demi, who I don't always think of as a comedy director. I was kind of shocked when his name popped up in the credits. Although by that point, even the beginning of the movie doesn't feel like a comedy. And you see Ted Demi, it's like, oh, this feels a little more like what Ted Demi, nephew of legendary filmmaker Jonathan Demi. Um, And I think Ted Demi echoes a lot of his uncle's style in a lot of his movies, right? But like this feels much more like his sort of film in the way that it does that. And then it sprinkles in these really great, let's just let the comedic actors riff for a little bit. Well, I think it helps that he has this history of working with Dennis Leary. He had directed two of Dennis Leary's comedy specials in the early 90s. He also, I believe, is the director of the very famous Dennis Leary MTV commercials, where Dennis okay. Leary in black and white talking uh, mm-hmm. to the camera, and he also directed The Ref. Mm-hmm. So I think, absolutely, I think you have to be able to balance the kind of riffing that Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence can do with these very deep themes that you're trying to deal with. And it also helps getting also other actors that pop up in here that are supremely talented. I mean, we haven't also mentioned that Ned Beatty shows up in this. Arlie Ermey shows up for a a smidgen there. Very talented people that can either mix it up kind of with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence comedically Mm -hmm. and people that can play off them in terms of the themes and more dramatic elements that are going on. 
or who could do both of those at the same time, right? And so every time the movie starts to dive into this, it finds a way to pierce it with the comedy. And I'm going to keep thinking about, um, there's a great scene. So the first warden of the camp, who's there for many decades, his daughter ends up giving birth. He's all excited. And it turns out to be uh, a black baby. And you get the idea that the father of the baby is not her husband, but the father of the baby is one of the men on here. And so he drives in, he starts screaming at all of the men who did this, and they pull this Spartacus move, right? Of, I'm the pappy. No, I'm the pappy. No, I'm the pappy. And it it jokes. And then, of course, the joke is that you start getting these people who it's obviously are not the father, right? And so it's taking this, it is saying something serious and something powerful about the racial ideas at the time, about the way that these men are treated, but turns it into a really funny scene, which at, by the end of it, the warden is driving away. And even the white head guard played by um, Nick Cassavetes, uh, who's very good in this movie also, even he is laughing along with them. We've talked a bit about some of the very talented supporting cast in this movie, besides obviously Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Who would you say would be your supporting turn for the movie? One of the big surprises to me of this movie is how it dealt with all of these issues. And I mean, I should say, this is a studio comedy from 1999. This is not the deepest look at racial politics, you know, that you could have gotten at the time. But for a studio, movie feels very progressive in what it is trying to say at the time. And then on top of that, it layers in a performance by an actor who I'm ashamed to say I don't really know. I did not recognize him. But his name is Miguel A. Nunez Jr. He plays a character named biscuit so right when they get to the camp uh, it is set up that bernie mac is playing a gay man in the prison uh there's maybe a little uncomfortable bit of a joke where he starts to hit on martin lawrence and then it transitions into he is in a relationship with this character biscuit who in 1999 terms is maybe the wife of the couple is a much more effeminate character and the movie never pokes fun at this character at all it is um, a very tender performance the movie is on his side he is so funny and yet so touching and then ends up getting to a scene where he shows eddie murphy his release papers and how afraid he is to be released outside of prison in 1950s or 60s mississippi right i think it's 44 i think it's 44 is it still back there okay that he is you know much more protected in this prison and ends up trying to run away purposely just to get shot he commits suicide by prison guard because that's safer for him than being out in the real world and man it just the way that this movie treats that relationship it treats that character in a way that i was not expecting at all and that feels like something 20 25 years later we're still not getting from disney movies that are afraid to even mention the word gay yeah that last scene that he has is really powerful Mm -hmm. and that idea of that he would rather just die than yeah. be released. He he is going to be released. He's going to get his freedom. And he just is so afraid of what the world will actually do to him outside of this mm-hmm. that it is, it's really heartbreaking. My 
choice was Bokeem Woodbine, who is a fantastic actor. Yeah, and my al- my alternate here that he's so good. Yeah, he plays a character that we don't actually know his his real name. We only know him as Can't Get Right. And he is a prisoner who eventually comes there who clearly has some sort of he he's nonverbal. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say anything and so all of his performance is done without dialogue. And there's so much that is said through facial expressions, through how he interacts. He is the eventual father, where it is very heavily implied that he is the father of the warden's grandchild. He eventually gets out due to his ability to play baseball. And it is just such a very impressive showing about his acting skills that he has all of this ability to convey these emotions without any line of dialogue. He doesn't say mm-hmm. a single thing. And you feel this compassion for this character. And also gets some laughs from it too. Like he's oh, also yeah. very funny in some of those faces that he makes. And he's, you know, the, just the idea that, oh, he doesn't seem to be that good at baseball. Oh, okay, we gotta like really help him out. And then he hits that first homer and everyone's suddenly looking going like, wait a moment, I don't know if this guy's actually that bad. He might yeah. actually be a lot better than we even thought. Bokeem is a really fantastic actor who's had, luckily in the last several years, a lot of opportunities to shine in great performances. Yeah. But this is a, a very good nonverbal role. Yeah. No, excellent right there. And so I think we've talked a lot here, Ross, about how maybe serious this movie is, but there are some big laughs. So uh, is there a funny moment that you maybe want to highlight from this movie? Yeah, there's a scene early on in the movie that I kind of talked about when they're driving down to Mississippi. And Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence are in the car, and Eddie Murphy's driving, and he basically starts trying to prod Martin Lawrence to have a conversation. He doesn't want to. He has no desire to deal with him. And they start talking about the job that Martin Lawrence is supposed to start on Monday. He's supposed to As become a bank teller. A, yeah, a bank teller. Yeah. And his hope is not to obviously stay a bank teller, that he wants to become eventually a loan officer. And so Eddie Murphy's goal in life is to eventually open his own club, raise Boom Boom Room. They then start going into this idea of, you know, he wants to go in for a loan. Like, how would I get a loan? And they start doing this fake loan application to some extent for his raise Boom Boom Room. And Martin Lawrence just kind of going like, loan denied! You get the whole thing about his father's watch, which obviously becomes very important later on in the movie. But just the idea of this kind of like fake load application that seems to be going on and just immediately him just denying him outright. Like, no, I'm not taking your watch as collateral. This piece of garbage that you probably stole, your father stole anyway. It's great. Um, And again, like it feels like a really great written little sketch there where it's very funny, but it's also making a point throughout all of this, right? It's saying something about the society that they're living in, but also being very, very funny. Yeah. Um, I have to call out, of course, this movie ends with bloopers. And <laughs> I uh, will gladly support bloopers at the end of, of any movie. My word to filmmakers right now, put bloopers at the end of the movie and I guarantee you I will go see it. No matter what it is, because I love it. But um, I wanted to highlight, I think, to me, the biggest laugh is 
Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence's first day, I think, on the chain gang, and they're all sitting around. And the wonderful Barry Shabaka Henley, who's a great character actor who does not always get the recognition he deserves, uh, plays a character called Poker Face. And he's called Poker Face because he does not react to anything. And he has held on to a letter for four months, and no one on the chain gang can read, so he has no idea what it is. And he hands it to Eddie Murphy to read, and Eddie Murphy starts reading the letter. And it is from Grandma's Neighbor, and it is one tragedy after another that has befallen his family to the point that they have lost everything. Every family member has died. It just keeps piling on more and more and more. Both the letter itself are very funny and the way that Eddie Murphy reads it, but then the stoic poker face just taking it in and not reacting and just ends with, well, thank you for reading that. It's a really wonderful, wonderful moment that I had to call out. Here. I think there's also that a joke where he and asks if anybody else has any other letter to read, and they all go no because they're afraid yeah. that if he reads it, it's going to be somehow terrible news. Exactly. <laughs> it's a yeah. great. It's a great. I, oh. I really do like that moment too. It's a very funny moment. At one point, he goes, "You know, your sister died. Oh, so and so." He goes, "No, you know, this one." And then he goes on, "Oh, so and so died too." Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, now reading farther down. Yep. Yep, she's yeah, gone as well. Exactly. So yeah, but the neighbor's going to take care of the dog. That's how she ends it. So don't worry, the dog the dog is taken <laughs> taken care of. Um, I think Ross for a movie like this, it doesn't go for a whole lot of laughs. It doesn't seem like there's anything that you and I really found unfunny in here. So do we maybe want to break tradition and reframe our unfunniest to maybe in a serious way some of those moments that that really touched us and really spoke to us. Yeah, I like that. I I think that's a really good idea because I do think with this movie, which is a dramedy, there is stuff that's, I guess, unfunny on purpose. Let's go with Mm -hmm. that. It's not meant to make laughs. It's meant to kind of Mm -hmm. elicit these kind of emotions from you. So I think for me, one that I want to highlight is later on in the movie, Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy have now begun working basically at the warden's house. Mm-hmm. And they are picking up the new superintendent. They're too old to be on the chain gang now. So they've kind of aged up to being a butler and a gardener and, you know, servant, house servants. And Martin Lawrence is trusted enough and has gained a rapport with the warden who's played by Ned Beatty that they need to pick up. I believe he's supposed to be the superintendent of prisons yeah. in, in Mississippi, who we will eventually find out is the sheriff who had basically committed the murder that has put them in jail. Martin Lawrence is tasked with driving Ned Beatty to the bus station to go pick him up. And there's a moment where Martin Lawrence, they've pulled into the bus station, Ned Beatty goes, hey, just wait here, I'm going to go pick him up. And beyond using this as a moment of, there's, this is a moment where he could just drive away. He could go. But instead, what they changed the scene into is Martin Lawrence looking around as an older man who's been in prison for 40 years. I think is what they basically say. And looking at early 1970s America and just shocked in some respect by what he sees and then ending it on him looking at himself in the reflection of a car window and seeing how he looks now, seeing and realizing all of the time that is gone, all of the stuff that he could have done, all of the life he could have led that is gone gone in a flash i I think it is 
one of Martin Lawrence's best acting moments that I've actually ever seen him do in a movie. I think it's a really, really powerful scene and a heartbreaking scene to watch. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about the makeup work in this movie, and it was Oscar-nominated for a reason. Rick Baker's makeup holds up so well. Both Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, but especially Martin Lawrence in that moment, just the makeup work on it does so much too, because you see Martin Lawrence in there, but you also see how rough those years have been on them of 40 years of you know pretty much living outside. Absolutely. Um, Rick Baker is one of the greatest, maybe the greatest makeup artists to ever work in Hollywood. He, for those who don't know, he is the man behind what is one of the greatest werewolf makeup I've ever seen, or just makeup in general in American Werewolf in London. He Mm -hmm. has done numerous things. I believe he has seven Academy Awards and 11 nominations. Yeah, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. If you think about This is not Nutty Professor-esque Eddie Murphy makeup, right? It is, like the rest of the movie, rooted in a real realism, that it authentically looks like what they would look like versus, you know, the -the over-the-topness of some of the other Eddie Murphy makeup-heavy movies that we've seen. Yeah. Um, I want to call out, I love how Ted Demi throughout the movie transitions between decades, and he mixes in a whole lot of newsreel footage and footage of what's going on in the world to kind of give us that context of this is how the world is changing around them as they all stay the same. And then in the biggest jump the movie has... It does a montage of shots from all around the camp. And one by one, it gives us a shot of each of these wonderful characters who we have met and who we have fallen in love with throughout the movie. And then they slowly fade out of the picture, each one of them, as you get the idea of the times are changing and whether these characters are dying or whether they're being released. It doesn't really say, it doesn't tell us what the end of their story is, because the real point of that montage is that by the end, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence are left alone in this camp without all of their friends. And it's a whole younger group of people now. And it's an amazingly powerful and creative way to do that. Um, And so I wanted to call out that. I was not expecting one of those transition montages to make me teary-eyed, but it did. Absolutely. And I think there's... And what's also interesting is, depending to show you even the passage of time, they do some of the makeup on some of the people to show that it was later. So you Mm -hmm. see some of the people as younger, right? That they either were released or passed away. But then there's some that you see towards the end of the montage that they've aged up. So it shows that they stayed longer and that when they leave this story, they are older. And for, you know, prison movies, you always get a whole lot of characters, right? There's a lot of people there. And somehow this movie has taken each of them and they each have their one characteristic that maybe stands out to us, right? There's the cook, there's the quiet one, there's the big burly guy, but somehow it has made each of them enough of a rounded character that you feel for them when they fade out. And again, not knowing, are they fading out because they've died or are they fading out because they've gotten their freedom? It maybe doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah. So Trip. We now come to the part of the episode where our viewers can play as a home game later, and that is to guess what is the critic and audience reactions to this movie. So, Tripp, what do you think critics at the time, based off the Rotten Tomatoes score, what do you think critics thought of this movie 
1999. See, it's a wonderful movie, and I'm baffled because I remember it being not well appreciated when it came out. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that it's probably rotten. I'm gonna say that it probably got like a 50% ish, kind of somewhere around where Never Been Kissed was last week. So you are correct. It was rotten. It is a 52%. Yeah, that's on- like exactly what we had last week. And man, this movie should have been a lot better appreciated because absolutely well some people agree with us uh roger ebert gave it three stars he said the result is a film that almost seems nostalgic about what must have been a brutal existence yeah and then sean p means for film.com firstly i tried to find the full review could not find it online okay but i have the the quote that they have for Rotten Tomatoes, which said, Life plays more like this is your life for Eddie Murphy, cobbling together elements from his earlier, funnier movies. So- but I think that's expecting the movie to be an all-out comedy, right? Yes. And so we're going to take bits, exactly. Like, we're going to take bits from Coming to America. We're going to take bits from, there's a lot of Harlem Nights in here, right? We're going to take these little things that he's done, but we're going to put them in a different context. We're going to give them a different meaning than they have. So what do you think the good people and who are users of Letterboxd, what do you think the average rating is by Letterboxd users for this movie? Again, I'm going to think as people go back to this movie, they're going to be positive about it. I'm going to say it's over a three point. So like maybe a 3.1, 3.2, somewhere in there. So close. 3.3. Okay. So they are... I was, had I just gone, kept going, you know. <laughs> yes, just, if I had just started off, doing, yeah. like, the hand motion yeah, exactly. of, like, yeah, like, you're you know, getting there. count from three to four, and I'm going to get it at some point. So. Exactly, exactly. There so, yeah, go. more people a little bit more positive, obviously. I hope uh, so. And I hope it's one that people go back and, and take a look at, because this this movie really floored me in, um, in what it was doing, especially for a studio comedy in 1999. I think I'm safe in saying that I don't know if we're going to see many more movies in this season that try to do what this movie does in terms of making a statement. Yes, I think that's probably fair. It's a fair assessment, more than likely. Mm -hmm. So this came out the weekend of April 16th. The two other kind of notable releases that were new this week, along with Life, is SLC Punk, which is... Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, very smaller movie. No, and not not the kind of movie I was going to see in 1999. Not not into punk music in the the late 90s. Uh no, no. Uh, and the other is a movie called Goodbye Lover. But I have top- no idea what that was, but it sounds like something that I would have gone to see. You know, the, uh, <laughs> at the art house right there. But uh, in the top five, also that weekend is a lot of uh, movies that we have covered already on this podcast. You have never been kissed. Analyze this and 10 Things I Hate About You, all in the top five that weekend. These movies just didn't go away back then. They just. The box office was very different, too. I feel like you have a lot of these kind of movies. They're not making massive, massive numbers, but they're doing, you know, they're kind of hanging around. They're holding on. Although I read, you know, this was considered a flop when it came out. $80 million this movie cost, um, which you can see on the screen, I feel like they, that money put put to good use and didn't quite make that which is which is too bad because yeah i would have liked to have seen eddie murphy and martin lawrence maybe make some more movies like this along the way yeah. um some of these comedies that also try to do something else and i feel like they both kind of backed away from 
making this sort of movie afterwards, which makes it a little anomaly in their in their careers. But um, Ross, if I wanted to uh, follow this up with with maybe another Eddie Murphy movie, is there another Eddie Murphy movie that you think would pair well with this? Yeah, I I kind of chose another movie that allowed Eddie Murphy to be funny and also to flex his acting chops. And that is Dolomite Is My Name, the recent movie that was made for Netflix where he plays Rudy Ray Moore and the creation of the movie Dolomite, which was a very low-budget indie movie. Mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy, there was a lot of Oscar buzz about this movie when it came out, and Mm -hmm. rightfully so. I think he is very good in that movie. I think that's his best performance, I think. It is an ability to kind of combine the comedy chops that Mm -hmm. he undeniably has with this kind of more serious performance of a guy who's really got a passion for filmmaking and this idea of doing this and you know i could have maybe saved it for another movie that will be coming later this season (laughs) in which eddie murphy is involved in the film industry that i look forward to that episode too and revisiting that movie but i think here is a great one to put it because that also has a lot more of heart and real kind of quote-unquote real acting that life also does not to say as two people hosting a comedy podcast that comedy does not require amazing acting because it does but mm-hmm. this is a, a it's more a different serious kind of acting yes. for for eddie murphy and i think definitely you can see dolomite is my name is maybe what happens to ray if ray doesn't get framed and go to prison that that's <laughs> that's the that's the arc he's trying to take in life, you know. The the Ray's boom boom room eventually boom, 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 gets becomes made. <laughs> a, a black exploitation movie. Yeah, so absolutely. Trip, what would you pair with this movie? So for the second week in a row, I'm going on a more serious note here, um, and I have to give credit. Um, I was last night after I finished the movie, I was looking at my letterbox. I did not peek and see what the scores were. But I was looking at um, how some of the people I follow on Letterboxd have said about this movie. And uh, Letterboxd user Justin LaLiberty had suggested this pairing, and it immediately struck me as a necessary counterpart to this. And that is Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th, which looks at the last hundred years of American history through the lens of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, and how that amendment has not really gone away. The prison system especially has just been used as a way to continue to enslave Black people. It is an amazingly constructed documentary that sets out an argument, but also feels so cinematic throughout, and I think gives context around a lot of the ideas that this movie is playing with and maybe telling you about in a lighthearted way. But um, it's a Netflix documentary. It is also available for free on YouTube. Uh, Netflix, you know, notorious for doing good in the world out there and giving things away for free. Uh, Understand that this movie is important enough that it should be accessible whether you have a subscription or not. I think I got a lot more out of this movie having seen 13th a couple times in my life and having that background knowledge that, you know, I'm sure that me as a 16-year-old white teenager from Illinois 
would not have had had I seen this in 1999. Absolutely. As, as we talked about, maybe some of the criticism that people gave of this idea of not t- showing some of the more serious elements yeah. of what these characters probably experienced. This is the documentary that's like, you want to see that? <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. And, and so check, really kind of show that. Check that out. Maybe watch that, get all the context, and then watch Life and see you know, maybe how that could look. In a way, we did not talk about the end of this movie, in a way that just gives hope to these characters right and that even in these worst of times it is worth holding on to a little bit of hope out there because you know something good might come your way absolutely so trip you're staring at those gray stars on letterbox now thinking about what you're going to put in as your final rating what would you rate ted demi's life I find myself shocked to say this. I'm going to give this four stars. This is a really solid movie for me. And it's exactly what I wish a lot of these studio comedies were doing at that time and now and really making a statement while also being really entertaining at parts. So four star movie for me. What about you, Ross? Drip, we are in total agreement. I have it as a four star movie as well. I thought it was enjoyable when it's being funny i think it is packing more of a punch than you would have seen necessarily from a studio comedy at that time and i think it is an example why eddie murphy was one of the biggest stars on the planet yeah and ed has all the charisma and why martin lawrence is going to dominate a lot of box office stuff that we're going to talk about over the next couple years in terms of studio comedies he ends up doing a lot of stuff and becoming a big star himself and i mean to be honest i have not seen martin lawrence in much you know i remember the tv show being really popular i've definitely seen some of that i am much more interested in following through on where martin lawrence goes from here than i ever thought i would be at this point because he does he really impressed me in this movie yeah we'll we'll, we'll see him again this season in another movie so we'll see what you think of that one okay sounds good in the meantime though uh what do we see in next week i'm guessing it's not a martin lawrence movie it is very much not a martin lawrence movie it is a movie called lost and found You can find it as of right now. Uh, It is currently on Tubi and the Roku channel, and it's also available to rent on Amazon, Apple TV, or YouTube. Or maybe you can find it at your local library on an interlibrary loan or on a physical disc somewhere. So, Trip. Lost and Found. I've never heard of this movie. Is this, this is a real movie? This is a real movie. It came out in movie theaters? It, it very in fact it came out in over a thousand theaters wow i i have no recollection of of this i have no idea um i'm gonna guess maybe somebody works at the lost and found like at an airport or something and um somebody turns into the lost and found i don't know stolen money and they get caught up in a large criminal conspiracy that is going to hijinks ensue from this lost and found. That's what I'm going to guess this is. To, to peel the curtain back a little bit on our podcasting uh, process, would would we put together the list of, obviously we had a spreadsheet and everything on, on this movies. There were several ones that I feel like I got from Trip 
that just were like, this isn't a real movie, Ross. You're making this up. I feel like this is one of those movies. Ross, this isn't a real movie. Like you're, you're, you're talking about this before we've talked about this movie. I have no recollection. I don't know if hearing the title of this movie before Ross. I I feel like this was one of the things that got brought up when you were looking at the spreadsheet and were like, I don't know what Ross, this can't be a real movie. Who knows? That's that's why we're doing this. So you, have you seen this movie? I have never seen this movie. I will tell you, since we are, I I will just reveal that one of, or the main star of this movie is David Spade. So we are staying in kind of SNL. SNL vein. Yes, because obviously David Spade uh, in 1999 would have been coming off of a run on SNL Mm -hmm. and also several Chris Farley movies that he, so this is, this is a David Spade starring vehicle. So I don't know if that makes you more excited or less excited or equally as confused. I'll save that for next week. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and let yes. you all know my David Spade thoughts then. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, life fans out there, tell us how much you love this movie. And I hope maybe you played along and discovered it along with me. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter and whatever other social media we're using these days at Trip. Burton 13. I'm also at Letterboxd, uh, just under my name, Trip Burton. And I am also on X, Twitter, whatever we're calling this, and Letterboxd at R Bratton. Uh, you can also email the show. Uh, we are at a trip through comedy at gmail.com. That's trip with two P's. Uh, or you can find us on all sorts of social media at ATTC pod. Uh, that's on X and on Instagram. And I don't even think Ross knows yet. Also on Blue Sky. Oh. So we are kind of wherever you want to find us. Hey, we got we got where the air is cleaner and there's clouds. It's so nice. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Our theme music is So Alive, the instrumental version by John Worthy Music. You can find his work wherever you find and listen to music. And as always, we will see you farther along down the road. Now, let's get down there, have ourselves a little reward, and see what's shaken.